Hello, and welcome to another edition of Maplewood Barn Radio Theater, brought to you in conjunction with KBIA. Tonight, we bring you a story by Brander Matthews called The Rival Ghosts. While he is hardly remembered today, Brander Matthews was the first full-time professor of dramatic literature in an American university and was largely responsible for establishing the theatrical arts as a topic worthy of formal study in academic institutions. He was the author of over 30 books, most of which are undistinguished and quite forgotten. Yet all theater and drama students owe him a debt of gratitude for making their discipline part of America's educational curriculum. Maplewood Barn has chosen to honor him this evening by presenting one of his best short stories, The Rival Ghosts, in an audio format. Our tale begins with a ship speeding across the calm Atlantic with a group of three returning Americans discussing their voyage. Once when I was returning to America, I was standing near a patriotic American and a wandering Irishman, and the patriotic American rashly declared that you couldn't see a sunrise like that anywhere in Europe. This gave the Irishman his chance, and he said, Sure, you don't have them here till we're true of them over there. It is true. They do some things better in Europe than we do in America. For instance, umbrellas. <laughs> and gowns. And their antiques are much more antiquated than ours. But we do some things better in America, like, um, ice cream. And spooks. Spooks? Spooks. Ghosts, if you like, or specters. We turn out the best spooks. Why do you say that, Larry? Because American spooks respond to the American sense of humor. Take Irving's stories, for example. The Headless Horseman? That's a comic ghost story. And Rip Van Winkle? Still... A better example might be the tale of the rival ghosts. The rival ghosts? Well, who were they? Didn't I ever tell you about them, Duchess? No, I don't believe you have. Please tell us. I just dote on ghost stories. Yes, all right, babe. Not long ago, there lived in the thriving town of New York a young lawyer called Alephalet Duncan. Like his name, he was half Yankee and half Scottish. My father was a Scotchman who had come to Boston and married a Salem girl. Father instilled in me a feeling of Scottish pride because my family was of noble ancestry. Although father was the youngest son of a younger son, my mother left me Yankee grit and a little old house in Salem, which was built during the witchcraft craze and had been in the family for more than 300 years. This little old house, which she left to me, was haunted. By the ghosts of one of the witches, of course. Now, babe... How could it be the ghost of a witch since the witches were all burned at the stake? You never heard of anybody who was burned having a ghost, did you? Well, at any rate, that's an argument in favor of cremation. It is if you don't like ghosts. I do. Go on with your story. Now this little old house at Salem was haunted, and by a ghost with remarkable attributes. As Alephalet said, It had a lot of peculiarities. In the first place, it never appeared to me the master of the house mostly confined its visitations to unwelcome guests. In the course of the last hundred years, it frightened away four successive mothers-in-law, while never intruding on the husbands. I guess the ghost was one of the boys while he was alive. In the second place, it never frightened anybody the first time it appeared. Only on the second visit were the ghost seers scared. But then they were scared enough not to seek a third interview. One of the most curious things was that it had no face. Or at least, nobody ever saw its face. 
Well, perhaps he wore a mask. I was never able to find out. I have asked several people who saw the ghost, and none of them could tell me anything about its face. How weird. And why did the ghost go away? I never said it went away. But you said it used to haunt the little old house at Salem, so I supposed it had moved on, didn't it? You shall hear in due time. Alephalet Duncan used to spend most of his summer vacations at Salem. But the ghost never bothered me at all, for I was the master of the house, much to my disgust, too, because I wanted to see for myself the mysterious specter. But I never saw it. Never! I asked friends to call me whenever it appeared, and yet, when their frightened cries awakened me, the ghost was gone. Then, one fine spring morning, Alephalet Duncan received some news. I regret to inform you that all your uncles and cousins have died without male issue, and you have inherited the title and estates. The old Lord Duncan recently died in a yachting accident. Alephalet was now Baron Duncan of Duncan. Oh, how romantic. A baron? Well, he was a baron if he chose, but he didn't choose. The fool! Well, I'm not so sure. You see, Alephalet Duncan soon discovered that my uncle, the late Lord Duncan, had married money, and the estates were kept up through the dowry of Lady Duncan. I decided that I would rather be a well-fed lawyer in New York, living comfortably off my practice, than a starving lord in Scotland, living scantily on my title. But he kept his title? Well, he kept it quiet. I knew it, and perhaps a few other friends, but Alephalet was too smart to put Baron Duncan of Duncan, Counselor at Law, on a shingle. What does this have to do with the ghost? It has nothing to do with that ghost, but a good deal to do with another ghost. <gasps> there was another ghost? Indeed. I was well-educated in spirit lore, perhaps because I own the haunted house in Salem. Or perhaps I am a Scotchman by descent. At any rate, I am acquainted with the habits of every reputable ghost in the Scottish peerage. And I know there is a ghost attached to whoever holds the title of Baron Duncan of Duncan, which, as of now, is me. So, besides being the owner of a haunted house in Salem, he was also haunted by a ghost from Scotland? That's right. The Duncan family ghost never appeared to the holder of the title just as the Salem ghost never appeared to the owner of the house. The Duncan ghost was strictly a guardian angel. Its only job was to warn whoever held the title, Baron Duncan of Duncan, of impending danger. Then how did old Lord Duncan die in a yachting accident? Because he did not pay attention to the warnings. If he had obeyed the friendly warnings of the family ghost, Alephalet might never have inherited the title. Did the ghost leave Scotland for America as soon as the old Baron died? How did he come over? In in the steerage? Or or as a cabin passenger? I don't know. And neither did Alephalet. Since I was not in danger, I had no idea whether the ghost was on duty or not. There was no proof of its presence until I went down to the little old house in Salem with a young friend who had been in the military. A ghost, huh? That's right. It has haunted this house for a few hundred years. Well, I fought in the Civil War from the moment Fort Sumter was fired upon. I was at Antietam, Gettysburg, and Cold Harbor. I spent ten years fighting rebellious Indians on the plains. Then it doesn't seem likely that you'd be frightened by a spook. No, not likely at all. Well, it is almost midnight. I believe I will turn in. <coughs> Pay no attention. That is the ghost that haunts this house. Oh! 
What was that? Oh, that's the family ghost. The wraith who watches over the Baron Duncan of Duncan. Who is the Baron Duncan of Duncan? Oh, that's me. I inherited the title by a fluke. The ghosts are just being noisy. Don't give it a second thought. Are you saying that both ghosts were there together? Both of them were there. The one that belonged to the house, and the other who was attached to Baron Duncan. It sounds like they were fighting. Yes, uh, they don't get along. They do combat every night. Fighting ghosts? Well, I never. All the ghosts I know of dwell together in harmony. Then came a series of spiritualistic manifestations, a regular dark seance. A tambourine was played upon, a bell was rung, and a flaming banjo went soaring about the room. Where did they get the banjo? I don't know. Materialized it, maybe. You don't think a quiet New York lawyer kept a pile of musical instruments lying around on the off chance that a pair of ghosts might be coming by to give him a surprise party, do you? Well, angels play harps. I suppose a ghost might play a banjo. Every spook has its instrument of torture. These ghosts of Alephalet Duncans chose tambourines, banjos, harmonicas, and all the loudest musical instruments available. And they kept it up all night. All night? All night long. And the next night, too. Listen, Eliflith, I've not had a week of sleep the last two nights. Those are the most obnoxious ghosts I've ever heard. Well, yes, they can be trying. I'm packing my grip sack and heading to Boston. I'm actually a New Yorker, but would rather go to Boston than spend the night in this house. I have never seen the ghost, of course, but Boston? I understand, friend. They're not particularly frightening, but they are irritating. In a way, I'm fond of ghosts, but I only like them one at a time. Two ghosts are a handful, especially when they don't get along. Well, I'd get rid of them if I was you. Why, if you let two spooks stay here, other ghosts might get ideas and try to move in. It would be like a spectral trailer of hobos. What did he do? Well, he couldn't do anything. He waited a while, hoping they would get tired, but he got tired out first. You see, they wouldn't let him sleep at night. They kept wrangling and quarreling incessantly. They rang bells and blew harmonicas and banged tambourines and they threw the flaming banjo all over the place. But worst of all, they swore. How did he know they were swearing? Could he hear them? Well, that was just it. He could not hear them, at least not distinctly. There were inarticulate murmurs and stifled rumblings, but he got the impression that they were swearing. Oh, if they would only swear out loud, I would not mind it so much. But with the air full of suppressed profanity, it's very distracting. Trying to figure out what they're saying. And after putting up with it for a week, he gave up in disgust and went to the White Mountains. Leaving them to fight it out, I suppose. No, no, not at all. They couldn't quarrel unless he was present. You see, he could not leave the family ghost behind, and the domestic ghost couldn't leave the house. When he went away, he took the family ghost with him, leaving the house ghost behind. Spooks can't quarrel when they're separated any more than people can. Go on. What happened next? A marvelous thing happened. On my way to the White Mountains, I met an old classmate I had not seen in years. He introduced me to his sister, who was a remarkably pretty girl, and I fell in love with her at first sight. Who 
was she? She was Miss Kitty Sutton of San Francisco, and she was a daughter of old Judge Sutton of the firm Pixley and Sutton. A, a very respectable family. Mm, I hope she wasn't the daughter of that loud-mouthed, bossy, old Mrs. Sutton I met at Saratoga one summer four or five years ago. Eh, she probably was. She was a horrid old woman, eccentric, vain, and overbearing. We used to call her Mother Gorgon. Well, babe, that may be, but I am almost sure that Kitty Sutton was the daughter of Mother Gorgon. Elephalit never saw the mother who was in Frisco or Los Angeles or Santa Fe or somewhere out west. If he had, Elephalit might have shed her like a ragged coat. I would think so. But he saw a great deal of the daughter, who was up in the White Mountains traveling with her brother. As they journeyed from hotel to hotel, Duncan went with them. And before the end of the summer, I began to think about proposing. And one evening, I took her out for a moonlit row on Lake Winnipesaukee. As I helped her into the boat, I resolved to do it. And I thought she might have a glimmer of what was going to happen as well. Girls never go out in a rowboat at night with a young man unless they know a proposal is coming. As I took the oars, I felt a sudden chill. I tried to shake it off, but in vain. I began to have a growing awareness of impending evil. Before I had taken ten strokes, and I'm as swift with the oars, I became aware of a mysterious presence between myself and Miss Sutton. Was it the guardian angel ghost warning him not to ask for her hand? That's just what it was. And I paid attention to it, kept quiet, and rode Miss Sutton back to the hotel without making my proposal. The next morning, Alephalid overslept, and when he got down to a late breakfast, he found the Suttons had gone to New York by the morning train. I wanted to follow them, but again I felt the mysterious presence overpowering my will. I struggled with it for two days, and at last made up my mind to do what I wanted in spite of the family ghost. When he arrived in New York, he dressed hastily and went to the hotel where the Suttons were staying. The guardian angel fought me every inch of the way, until I began to believe that even if Miss Sutton accepted my proposal, the spook would forbid the union but I was determined to follow my heart. How gallant of him. I had walked about five blocks when suddenly the evil feelings were gone. The Duncan ghost no longer objected to the suit. There was no resistance, no struggle. I was very encouraged. I walked briskly to the hotel and found Miss Sutton alone. I popped a question and got my answer. She accepted, of course. Of course. And while they were in the first flush of joy, swapping confidences and confessions, her brother came into the parlor with an expression of pain on his face and a telegram in his hand. I regret to inform you, dear sister, that our mother contracted a serious illness and died in San Francisco. The mother's death was the reason why the ghost no longer opposed the marriage? Exactly. You see, the family ghost knew that Mother Gorgon, as you called her, babe, was an insurmountable obstacle to Duncan's happiness, so it warned him. But the moment the obstacle was removed, it gave its consent at once. I assume that Lord Duncan, I prefer to use proper titles whenever possible, saw no more of the ghosts after he was married? He never saw them at all, at any time, either before or since. But they came very close to breaking off the match, which would have broken two young hearts. After the death of Mother Gorgon, was there any reason why they should not be joined together and forever hold their peace? How could a ghost, or even two ghosts, keep a girl from marrying the man she loved? It seems odd, doesn't it? But Miss Sutton told Elephalet, I refuse to be married until a year after Mother's death. 
So she and Duncan had lots of time to tell each other all about themselves. Alephalit got to hear about the girls she went to school with, and Kitty soon learned all about his family. Except... I didn't tell her about the title for a long time, because I didn't want to brag. But he described the little old house at Salem. Did he tell her about the ghosts? Hold on! We'll get to that. <clears throat> the wedding day was set for early September, and one evening shortly before the marriage she told him... I don't want to go abroad for our honeymoon. I just want to go down to the little old house in Salem and spend our honeymoon in peace and quiet with nothing to do and nobody to bother us. Uh-oh. Of course, Alephalet was thinking about those spooks. Uh, there might be a slight problem there, Kitty, darling. You see, through a series of unfortunate circumstances, I inherited the title Baron Duncan of Duncan. Oh, that's wonderful. You never told me you came from royalty. Well, the title really means nothing, except there's a family ghost who serves as a guardian angel for whoever holds the title. Well, that's marvelous. An ancestral... Spectre personally attending to the needs of my husband? <gasps> How extraordinary! But he never said anything about the ghost which haunted the little old house at Salem. She would probably be scared to death if the Salem ghost suddenly appeared to her. Exactly. He realized it would be impossible to go to Salem on their wedding trip, so he told her all about it. Uh, it's a bit more complicated than that, Kitty. You see, the house in Salem is haunted as well. Two supernatural beings? Yes, there is the Duncan ghost, and then there's the Salem ghost. A titular and domestic ghost, so to speak. And they don't get along at all. In fact, they fight all the time. And give dark seances, and manifest, and materialize, and play musical instruments, and generally make the place miserable. So, you see, it's really impossible. But my mind is made up. I'm determined to spend my honeymoon in the little old house at Salem, and I'm equally determined not to go there if there are ghosts in residence. Until you can assure me that the spectral tenants have been evicted, I will not marry you at all. But, darling, what are a few banging tambourines and flaming banjos compared to our love? No. I will not have my honeymoon interrupted by two feuding ghosts, and the wedding will be postponed until the house is rid of the spectral forces. She seems like an unreasonable young woman. Couldn't he talk her out of it? Nope. Her mind was made up. And when a girl's mind is made up, there's nothing to do but bow to the inevitable. And that's just what Alephalet did. He would either have to give her up or set the ghosts out. Well, then you leave me no choice, Kitty. Since I love you and I don't really care for the ghost, I will do my best to run them off. So he made his plans and he went down to Salem. Did he succeed in driving the ghosts away? Hang on a minute. This is the critical point in the story. You see, Alephalet tried to think of some quick and easy way to get rid of the ghosts, but he couldn't. Oh, how I wish someone would invent a spook deterrent, like for ants, something that would keep them out in the yard. Perhaps I could loan them money, put them in debt so I can get the sheriff to foreclose, and then throw them in debtor's prison. No, that won't work. Strong drink, perhaps? A drunk spook? Or a spook with delirium tremens could be arrested and put in asylum for inebriates. But none of these things seemed feasible. What did he do? Don't keep us in suspense. All right, don't get your bloomers in a knot. Alephalet went down to the little old house at Salem, and just as the clock struck twelve, the rival ghosts began the hostilities. Uh, 
It was just as before. Noises here, there, and everywhere. Ringing bells, banging tambourines, flaming banjos flying all around. At last, he got his dander up and he took action. Hey! Hey! Would you two cut it out? Be quiet! Now listen to me, both of you. I've had it. I'm fed it up with your quarreling and bickering and profanity. Look, I'm in love with the most beautiful girl and she wants to spend our honeymoon here. But she will not marry me as long as you are haunting this house. So you must leave. <sighs> now, look, look. I know it's not an ideal situation for either of you. But Kitty will not marry me unless you vacate the premises. I appeal to you as old friends. You, the Duncan family ghost, wherever you are, you have been sheltered by my ancestors for hundreds of years. And you, the Salem spook, have been lodging here free for nearly two centuries. So here is what we are going to do. You two are going to fight it out right here and now. I have brought all the necessary weapons. A pair of Navy revolvers, a pair of shotguns, a pair of dueling swords, and a couple of Bowie knives. I have even brought a pack of cards and a bottle of poison. If you want to avoid the carnage, you can cut the cards and the loser has to drink the entire bottle. You can take your choice or use them all if you wish. I will serve as a second for both of you and drop the handkerchief to start the duel. What weapons did they choose? Be quiet and let the man continue his story. Thank you, Duchess. Aleflet waited anxiously for a reply. For a moment, there was silence. Then, there was a tremulous shivering in one corner of the room from the domestic spook, who seemed afraid. From the other corner... He felt the family ghost draw itself up with disgust, as if its dignity had been offended. Alephalit couldn't exactly see those things because he never saw the ghosts, but he felt them. After a silence of nearly a minute, a voice came from the corner where the family ghost stood. It is clear that you've only recently become the head of the Duncan family. You obviously do not understand your family heritage if you think... Your ancestral spirit could draw a weapon against a woman. I never suggested that you should fight a woman. All I want is for you to fight the Salem ghost. The other spirit in this room is a woman. You're blankety-blank, right? I'm a woman? And a blankety-blank strong one, too? Why, I'll lick you with any of the blankety-blank weapons he brought until you turn tail and run, you! Why, you uppity wench, I will turn your garfing soul into a froggy! Be quiet, both of you! Stop arguing! You sound like some deranged old married couple! Wait, that's it! If one of you is male and the other is female, you must get married! Then there will be no more interference... No more quarreling, no more manifestations and materializations, no more dark seances with the raps and bells and tambourines and uh, banjos. I was not gonna. Oh, no, no, I wouldn't oh, marry. I think it's not even this is the last, last spook on earth. Bring him an abomination. Stop it! 
Be quiet, both of you! Now listen! Perhaps you've never considered all the benefits of marriage. There is companionship, and shared responsibility, tax breaks, and, well, love. I've never thought of spectral matrimony before. I'll admit, I have no idea where to find a clergyman who would marry you. That should not be difficult. There are many spiritual clergymen, both living and dead. But you seem to forget, sir. I am already married. No, no, I remember my mother telling me about your situation. You are not a married ghost, but a widow. Your husband was hanged for murdering you. I remember the story distinctly. But what about the disparity in our ages? I am nearly 450 years old. She's barely 200. Oh, don't let age differences stand in the way of matrimonial happiness. Look, if you are joined together and stop bickering and making nuisances of yourself, my wife will never know you're here and perhaps you can stay. There are many advantages to marriage you might want to consider. Did he convince them to get married, Larry? He did. Alephalit talked the Duncan family ghost and the Salem Spectre into a matrimonial arrangement. And from the time they were engaged, he had no more trouble with them. They were rival ghosts no longer. They were married by their spiritual chaplain in the very same day that Alephalit Duncan met Kitty Sutton in front of the railing of Grace Church. The ghostly bride and bridegroom went away at once on their bridal tour, and Lord and Lady Duncan went down to the little old house at Salem to enjoy their honeymoon in peace and quiet. Uncle Larry stopped. The tale of the rival ghost had been told. A pleasant silence fell on the little party on the deck of the ocean liner, broken only by the lapping of waves on the hull of the ship. This has been Maplewood Barn Radio Theater's audio presentation of Brander Matthews' short story, The Rival Ghosts. Our players in the show were Matt Baker as Larry, Val Davis played Babe and Kitty, while Duchess and the female ghost were portrayed by Angela Lechtenberg, and Robert Click played Ephelet and the brother, while Darren Hellwich played the messenger, the soldier, and the male ghost. The show was engineered by Darren Hellwich and adapted for radio by Brad Buchanan. Post-production was done by Amy Humphrey and Joe Hayes. We hope you've enjoyed this Maplewood Barn radio production of The Rival Ghosts and that you will join us again next week for another classic story right here on KBIA. This is Byron Scott, president of the Maplewood Barn Community Theater. If you've been enjoying our weekly shows here on KBIA, we want you to plan ahead to bring the family out to the barn this spring and summer. Our 43rd season of outdoor shows begins April 30th with a ghost story, Darker Shores. We'll continue through mid-September with musicals, 2 by 2 and Shrek, and rollicking comedies, leading ladies, and Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. Drop by our website, www.maplewoodbarn.com, for full details and ticket information. Remember... There's never a rain out at the barn. We just move the fun inside.
Is your club, church, or social organization looking for an entertaining event? Why not invite the Maplewood radio players to put on a live performance of one of their radio theater shows? We'll bring the studio stage to you so that you can see how much fun we have with these KBIA programs. Just drop us a note on our website or Facebook for details.